two, creativity. What Sergeant Kimura Ardalis needed, not what she necessarily wanted or envisioned, but what she truly needed for her gang activity prevention unit were tough guys. This was the San Gabriel Valley. It had its distinctions from San Bernardino County to the east, San Fernando to the north, and East LA to the west. Yet, when it came to the types of people who enlisted in the various gangs, there wasn't that much of a difference. Gang members might have looked different, some with tattoos covering their necks all the way up to the backs of their skulls, others appearing almost like any other bratty high schooler ditching as afternoon classes, but every single one of them, and Ardalis assumed this held true for parts all around the world, had the same trait forged into their personalities, fear. You won't find a member of Puro 626, Parque Treses, Cinco Muertos, or any other of the local operations that joined up because it was the most valiant path in front of them. At the same time, it almost makes you feel sorry, knowing that these kids hop into social circles filled with drugs, violence, and lots of forced contact with law enforcement for no other reason than they're more afraid of what would happen to them if they stayed neutral. If they didn't join a gang, another one might jump them, or they might get mistaken for a member of an enemy set and get killed for nothing. And on top of all that, they'd be poor and isolated as they waited for one of these packs to pick them clean. Ardalis may have had a more liberal lenience when it came to gangs, but she was wise enough to understand that although these men and women were afraid, that didn't make them any less evil, and it definitely didn't make them any less dangerous. Anyone who has ever trapped an overtly nervous chihuahua into a corner knows just how vicious scared animals can turn when they recognize that it's their only option. There was no shortage of officers killed in the line of duty who literally took their last breaths in some dark alley right when they thought they had their perp trapped only to find out the hard way just how badly these guys wanted to remain on the outside of jail cells. If she wanted to suppress gang activity in her jurisdiction, she would need officers that could go heads up with the most afraid and most vicious citizens in the city of Baldwin Park. Everyone experienced fear. Police dealt with it every shift. This went even more so for those who engaged with organized career criminals. But the key difference came with how one dealt with the fear. Do you internalize it? Use it to make you hard and mean in an attempt to survive the pitfalls of the streets? Or do you grab it by the neck, keep it at an arm's distance, and wrestle it to the ground, making sure that the same toxic sludge of which it's composed never touches and never changes you? Ardalis had spent the better part of two months observing officers from all around the department, requesting recommendations and interviews from superiors, and making a short list of those who could make the cut. One name in particular that made its way onto the list was a moniker that would come to represent both the greatest blessing and biggest nuisance to her career, Francis Alessandro Girardi. She called in Officer Girardi for an interview that week, and he arrived at the meeting 15 minutes early, in a uniform that had clearly just been dry cleaned. He even brought his hat. Girardi was a wonderkind of sorts. He had scored in the 99th percentile on all of his recruitment tests. Then he went on to become the star of his academy class and, naturally, completed a stellar rookie year. Accordingly, his sergeant had no problem removing his training wheels and putting him with a legit partner to solve legit crimes much earlier than tradition dictated. Long story short, he found his calling with the night shift, especially in the heart of gangland. His partner would tell story after story about how the kid would cover 100 yards in 5 seconds before dragging a banger by the neck back onto the pavement and wrapping him up like a UFC fighter in the blink of an eye. One could assume the streets were telling the same stories, and soon Girardi received the respect of soldiers from every major faction in the city. 
and he never lost that respect. Ardalis asked him to have a seat and start by telling her why he was interested in working with the gang prevention unit. Girardi showed no lack of ego by responding with, It's what I was born to do. She asked him to elaborate, and he happily obliged. Well, to keep it as real as I'm sure you want it, I've always known I was going to be a cop. My parents tried to discourage me, but like any calling, it just didn't stop calling. When I was in college, the last semester, and I was starting to get my application in order and mentally prepare for academy, I started to really reflect on what I was starting. It was almost like a final temptation. Plenty of time to get out now if I wanted. But you didn't? No. And the reason I went ahead is because of what I realized. I realized that God gives us all roles in life. They're perfect roles, but we don't always see that. We waste time trying to make sense of it, figure out what our purpose is and why. Most of us don't ever need to know that. We'd all be much happier if we just played those roles to the best of our ability. Problems come around when we try to change those roles or cycle in and out of them. My role is to protect. I was the guy in school who the bullies knew to keep an eye on. If I saw some shit that wasn't right, I was going to make it right, you know? God called me to be a protector at a very young age. And I knew that my job was to be as ready as I could be so that when I could finally pin on that badge and protect an entire city, I'd be worthy of the honor. Okay, but you can protect without having to disrupt gang activity. True, but gangs are just bullies that didn't grow up. Instead of realizing what they're doing and why they're doing it, they just get in deeper, up the ante, upgrade their tactics. These guys aren't going to give you a wedgie or stuff you in a trash can. Yeah, and I carry a gun now. So do they. And there's more of them than there are of us. I'd take a toothless lion against a hundred rabid sheep any day. Ardalis changed gears, looking over his file. Says here you scored close to perfect on your SATs. Carried a 4.0 all throughout high school. All this while being all-league in football and having some recruitment interest with UCLA baseball. With such an outstanding file, why did you go to Cal State LA? Not knocking it, just asking. I wanted to be close to home. Cal State LA had a good criminal justice program. That's all I needed. Home being La Puente? Born and raised. But you live in Pasadena now? Well, the industry sheriff's police LP, so as you might imagine, it's not that safe for a family, you know? You applied to LASD first, right? What happened there? Long story. With all due respect, I know you used to be LASD. I'm sure the fact that you got out speaks to your acumen as a police. To be honest, the county is horribly run. It's not just the police, and it's not all their fault. It's too big a jurisdiction. I grew up around the deputies, so that's the image I had in my head when I wanted to start my police work, but like a lot of things we idolize as kids, they don't look so nice once we get a real look at them. I pulled my application after I got the academy date for Baldwin Park. Pulled all my applications. Claremont, Covina, Irwindale, all of them. And the word is you picked BP because of the gangs. Everyone knew Azusa and Bowen Park had the worst gang occupancy in the SGV. I wanted to change that. And now you'll get the chance? Girardi took zero hesitation in his response to our Dallas's bait. That's what I was born to do. Oh. 
Detective Desarian kept her eyes on the smiling lieutenant as he led a perp up to the front desk. Let me get this jackass in the cage real quick and we'll talk. Word on the street is you've been looking for me, Girardi playfully added. Following him was Detective Naik holding a cardboard box filled with what they would later discover was about 80k worth of party drugs, as well as an assortment of various paraphernalia. Naik placed the box down and asked Gabe to get it to the evidence log, which he was happy to do, being that the evidence lockers were far out of sight from this rather rude LASD detective. From behind pitch-black aviators, Naik met Dilly's eyes and offered a hand. She obliged and made her first official contact with the infamous Gap unit. How long have you been on the task force? Dilly wasted no time in beginning. Coming up on my fourth year now, Naik replied shortly. Dilly could ID right away that Naik was not going to say anything worthwhile, so she made her trademark shift to shop talk. Looks like a big score. Is he Puros? Yep, see I tipped us off. Tried to weasel in on a fellow Puros scene. Loyalty's the backbone with these guys until you try to rip them off. Oh, I'm very familiar with the creatively defined honor among thieves. An awkward moment crept in until Naik mercifully excused himself to begin his report, leaving Dilly once more all alone at the front. One thing she recognized right away was just how organized the station was, at least the gap unit. They even had the police aides trained like service dogs. Clearly there was a conspiracy here, even if that particular word was a bit extreme. Something was being coordinated and there were protocols for how these officers went about their police work that figured to be outside of and in excess of departmental procedure. Though naturally suspicious by nature, most excellent detectives are. Dilly was only growing more unnerved. Girardi finally made his way back to the front of the station and asked Detective Desarian if she wanted to head to their office and get a look at where most of the nail-biting paperwork gets completed. Already growing rather weary of his inanity, she agreed and followed him into the office. The room was smaller than she had thought, and much neater as well. There were two large desks, one shared by Detectives McGill and Naik, the other shared by the last two members of the five-person team, Detective Johansson and Officer Pendley. There was a table with five chairs surrounding it off to the side, right by a small flat-screen television, a mini-fridge, and a toaster oven. Lockers and file cabinets lined the walls, and for the few spaces that were open, there were posters to occupy the gaps. These were seemingly random and expressive of the officer's interest. There was an old poster for the Hard Knocks docuseries that featured the Rams in 2016, a tin sign with an antiquated Smith & Wesson ad printed upon it, and a framed poster for the movie Den of Thieves, which Dilly naturally appreciated. Girardi politely introduced her to Detective Johansson, who stood up out of his chair to shake her hand. The lieutenant then informed her that Detective McGill was out working a robbery case, for which he brought the greenest member of the team, Officer Pendley, to help with the more tedious parts. He offered her a seat at the side table, which she declined, instead choosing to ask where he did his paperwork. Confused, he replied that he did it right here. Girardi claimed he wasn't an office guy, and although his team appreciated the more traditional desks, he found all he needed was a chair and a flat surface. Plus, the vast majority of his work was out in the field, usually in the dead of night, so he figured he'd save the department some budget ducats and just keep his tools simple. Dilly took a seat facing the other officers, and after denying an offer for a water bottle, she pulled out her notebook and pen. Girardi followed suit and let her know he was ready to answer anything she had for him. Would you mind giving me a brief rundown of your job? I bully gang members, he replied quickly and with his million dollar smile. Okay, she replied making her note. But what exactly does a lieutenant in the gang activity prevention unit of the Baldwin Park Police do that's different from, say, LAPD for example? Well, we actually get results for one. 
I mean, it's kind of a lot of stuff. You're a cop, you know how the job goes. I do a lot of talking with perps, bangers, victims, normal people who don't want glock-toting dickheads disrupting their way of life. Me and my officers respond to calls, make cases against the big players in the area, try to work with them as best as we can to keep the bodies from piling up. What do you mean by work with them? Girardi laughed. A big part of my job is reaching out to the leaders and letting them know exactly who holds the cards in this game. Believe it or not, they need a lot of reminding. Dilly finished writing down a note and made a scene of uncocking her pen and closing her notebook. Off the record, seriously, what do some of these tactics insist of? Off the record? We're all cops here. Well, nothing out of the ordinary. For us cops, I mean, if I'm doing my job right, it's just talking. We don't want any wars in the streets, and if we come down too hard or too often than necessary, some of the more intellectually challenged of these captains might think it would be in their best interest to stir some shit up. That's it. That's really my job. Stopping any bullshit from blowing into the city. Off the record, I'm not in the business of putting every criminal in a jail cell. I don't even care, really. I just keep it out of the city that pays me. It's as simple as that. You don't care about impeding criminals that don't operate in your city? I mean, I care, but I'm not Superman. I work my ass off and put myself in the line of fire just to keep this city running right. These guys get roughed up, want to run with their tail between their legs to some shit like Monrovia or Omani. That's the other department's problem. Just like you, some cop in Upland starts shaking down a meth dealer, you couldn't make a case against them even if you wanted to, right? I generally don't encounter cops who shake down drug dealers, but I get your point. What do you encounter? The big man asked in an attempt to shift the questioning. I am not really supposed to talk about that with officers. Well, I thought we were off the record. Having been properly outwitted in this little exercise, Dilly decided that there was no harm in giving him a slight look into her past work. Just a random example with no names, but... One officer was accused of planning evidence, mostly crack cocaine. He would carry bags of it from evidence lockers and throw it in the back of a car when he pulled someone over. He did it more than a few times, rather successfully, but it eventually got back to us. It was actually a social media influencer that he tried it on, and he made a huge fuss about it. Got millions of views. That's when they called me in. I took a long look through his arrest records, I found the pattern, and then the case was made. It's usually the little inconsistencies like that that trigger investigations. So what triggered you to come to us? Numbers too good to be true? With this, Johansson stifled a laugh behind them. Dilly remained cool and responded that she was not at liberty to say. She then added that sometimes she gets calls in just to observe the more creative units like gangs, narcotics, and vice. Thankfully, there isn't enough hard corruption in the county for the detectives to only work those. Often, they simply observe protocol and practices, and if there are any borderline wrongdoings, they're usually solved before anything becomes criminal. She then reminded Girardi that the point of her wing was to keep officers from unfair treatment by clearing them of accusations and steering them away from any risky police practices. Girardi retorted with another quip, Guess you got to the guys in Newport too late then. Referencing a recent MAPD case wherein three patrolmen on Newport Beach PD had been charged with taking bribes in the form of underage prostitutes. In exchange for the company, they allegedly had turned a blind eye to the rampant human trafficking epidemic in the coastal town. That was until LASD organized a sting operation with the FBI and caught the officers red-handed in some 
rather morally questionable activities. Guess not, replied Dilly. Well, luckily we got you. So, if you catch us doing anything illegal, just let us know and we'll stop. Right, Joe? Girardi stood up and went to a file cabinet and pulled out a particular envelope that he then ran over to open in front of Dilly. See this guy right here? Streets call him Lago, short for Murcielago, Spanish for bat. I like to bust his balls and call him Lake instead. <laughs> anyway, he's a captain with the tresses, and I keep catching his little worker bees flashing pieces around the South Omani border. We're thinking the tresses are trying to expand a little, and they're sort of feeling things out, you know? Lieutenant, I need you to answer some more. You could call me G, or even Girardi, or Frank, whatever. I don't give a shit about rank. Okay, Girardi, we need to get this initial questioning through. It'll make my job a lot easier. I know, I know, but I thought maybe you want to tag along while we go talk to Lake and get him to keep his shit in line. Get a good look at what we do firsthand. Probably the fastest way to see what the gap actually is, you know? Show, don't tell. If you want, you can keep asking questions along the way. Dilly took a deep breath as she tried to pierce Girardi's creative strategy. She never thought he'd invite her along on his dealings, so naturally that made her think this was a trick. Unfortunately, she didn't know exactly how dangerous his tricks could be. Diving headfirst into gangland meant anything could happen to her, and Girardi could claim general perils of the job. Yet she couldn't shy away from such an in-depth look at his work, so she agreed. And with that, she and Detective Johansson hopped into Girardi's unmarked explorer and headed out to the stronghold. quiet streets of daytime Baldwin Park whistled by as Dilly sat, perhaps a little ironically, alone in the back seat as two of the SGV's most successful gang detectives rode in front. They had already gone through the questioning of how one gets into the Municipal Authority Preservation Division, and Dilly told them as plain as she told everyone, it was the best pathway out of the jails. Like most deputies, they enlist in this line of work to police the county and naturally grow weary of the intro assignment of babysitting the jailbirds. Diliana craved the streets. She wanted to go on foot pursuits, wrestle perps to the ground, and eventually work on the investigative teams to build cases and put away the big guys in the county's criminal underworld. If she wanted to do that, she needed to get out of jail duty as soon as possible, even if that meant being groomed to be on the team that only investigates fellow cops. Who would have known she'd have a knack for it? Girardi gave her a rundown of the situation as they got within a mile or so of the house. He let her know that Lago has been a player in the scene for about 11 years now. He first got popped for cannabis possession when he was 14, then a few counts of assault followed that. Like a lot of these guys, he only got further involved with Parque Trece after his stays in Juvie, where he needed the support to keep from getting carved up by any of the other gangs. The Treces hovered around the bottom of the totem pole as far as gangs and BP, but any protection was better than none. The Gap unit got to know him pretty well once he rose up to be the main guy in Javier Barrientos' crew. Girardi left out this next part of the story when relating to Dilly, but when his team picked him up for the first time, they found an SMG with about 3,000 rounds of ammo in his possession. They made sure the weapon disappeared and no charges were filed in exchange for a little light CI work and a kickback here or there, and he's been one of their go-tos ever since. With a stroke of luck, Barrientos got killed in a drive-by a couple years ago, and Lago got the call from the ganglord himself to take up the slack. Just like that, they had a Treses captain who owed them tons of favors. Do you clear all of these CI deals with the chief? Dilly was forced to ask. Of course. 
Remember, Ardalis and I go way back. I learned most of my game from her, replied Girardi. Anyway, these guys may give us something of use if we can press them hard enough, but they're still losers down to their core, so they tend to act up every now and again. That's when we gotta go in and make sure they're playing by the rules, you know? You mean city and state laws? Yeah, but as I'm sure you know very well, the law is like clay, and criminal lawyers get themselves off by making the shittiest of sculptures with it. It's in the city's best interest for us to police gangs on the harsher end of the spectrum and keep those boundaries firm. Johansson jumped in. Bangers need to know that we're not going to hassle them for nothing, but we're also going to put a foot up their ass if they try to push it. Dilly nodded her understanding as they pulled up to the house. The dilapidated one-story had as brown of a lawn as one might expect. Two Acuras at various levels of paint oxidation were parked in the driveway, and as she peeked into the dark windows, she saw the blinds move, indicating occupancy. Let's roll, the lieutenant belted out, and the three police exited the vehicle. Girardi banged on the door with the fleshy part of his fist a few times, and a park at Thresa member answered appropriately. Tell Lago we need to chat, he said firmly. The doorman tried to close the door, but met the large Italian-sized 14 Dickies boot in the doorway, followed by the command that he better go grab his boss before they lose their patience. Soon enough, the doorman returned and told them Lago was in the back. Girardi promptly broke the threshold, followed by Dilly and tailed by Johansson. The inside was surprisingly well kept. The living room seemed to have everything in place, and when they entered the kitchen, the pots were all hung in ascending size over the spotless stove. Dilly's first instinct told her that this was more of a safe house, being that it wasn't regularly used. Perhaps Lago was under threat or taking preemptive precautions from an imminent turf war. Her suspicions only strengthened when they made their way to the back. Seated on a wooden table outside, flanked by a horde of treses, sat Lago. The stocky man looked like he should have been in remedial algebra class right now, although his tattoos, one of which was a ghastly bat with its wings spread wide across his chest, gave the impression of someone much older, or at least she hoped. The table was littered with Modelo bottles and smashed Coke cans, as well as stacks of styrofoam containers that still carried a lingering smell of al pastor. Lago rose at the sight of Girardi, but his eyes lingered on the new and exceptionally enticing face. Big G, what's good, man? The two dapped up a little too friendly for her liking, and far too chummy as she had ever seen a gang leader with a police supervisor. Living grande, as always, Girardi responded, as he and Johansson grabbed a seat. Lago gave a nod to the other familiar BP detective, and then looked right back at Girardi for an explanation as to why he brought this new face to his secret safe house. Oh yeah, this is Detective Desarian from the Sheriff's. She was rolling through BP and I told her I'd let her ride with us today. Lago nodded as he grabbed his seat and went right into asking what exactly he could do for the good men and woman of law enforcement. We've been hearing about some of your boys traveling south for the winter, began Girardi. Bird's been chirping that they've seen some steel around Mountain View School District, added Johansson. Girardi continued. I was under the impression your friends were more than comfortable north of Valley. Lago once more looked over at Dilly, still unsure of how much she could be trusted. He already didn't trust Girardi under the recent shift in gangland politics, and now he was understanding just how veiled he would have to be in his discussion. A lot of things changing around the 626G. I'm sure I'm not breaking this news to you. You're not. I've been up to my balls and banger BS for weeks as this whole thing's been unfolding. What I wasn't aware of until yesterday was that Bird is moving troops against Garza now. You're not making my life any easier trying to expand territory right in the middle of the shakeup. Lago took a breath and leaned in on his elbows. 
Look, G, we can't sit back while everyone else is making moves. You know this game, and if you're not pushing, you're getting pushed. We're not trying to catch any bodies. We know the deal. At the term deal, Dilly remained stoic, but her interest peaked. She glanced over at Girardi quickly and saw the hint of a vein over his left eye tremble, just enough to tell her that he didn't like Lago using that term either. The Tresse continued, Some guys are letting people know we're not the bottom of the food chain anymore. We know Tresses don't get the respect we deserve, and if we ever want that to change, we need to move when others won't. Girardi was clearly losing patience as his volume raised. Okay, I don't know what you guys think, but there are no deals with BPPD. This city literally pays me to keep the law-abiding people safe from you guys. If I could drag you into a cell right now, I'd do it. Shit, Desarian could probably get everyone in this house in the county by sunset. We don't do negotiations, Lake. You keep me in the loop, and I keep my cops from kicking down every one of your crew's doors until I feel like kicking them in anyway. I'm getting real tired of every bratty little gangsta in this city thinking they're calling shots because one shithead thinks he can come up against a big crew. If by some miracle you guys don't get killed in the streets or over some shitty part of the ghetto, you'll still have to answer to us. If it is ever in our interest to round you all up, we'll get charges on you so fast you'll be in an orange jumpsuit before you could shit out last night's carne asada. You understanding me, Esse? Lago appeared unfazed. He had now realized that the pretty cop on Girardi's side was there to keep an eye on him. He never spoke this intensely to any of the threses. He had kicked in a few of his guys' deeper molars on the streets, but when Girardi came to talk, he was always as diplomatic as the most agreeable ambassador. This was all theater, and Girardi was the star. Unfortunately for the lieutenant, Lago had no problem playing the antagonist. I'm sure no one's happier that Garza might lose power than you. We all know he never got cozy with the Gap Boys. He looked over at Dilly with that last line. You know, BP detectives are usually a lot friendlier when we invite them into our homes. Wonder what it is about you that's got them so riled up. You stupid or something, Lago? shouted Johansson. Girardi raised a hand to suppress his partner. Stupid enough to show up to a Tresa's safe house with a watchdog? Couldn't be me, Lago added, showing the BP boys just how far he was willing to push this envelope. I heard about LASD keeping an eye on you guys. Straight a little too far off the path, huh? God damn it, Lago, just keep your boys out of South Delmoni, screamed Johansson, standing as he slammed his fists on the table. What did Girardi just tell you? We don't do negotiations. The threats surrounding them inched closer, and Dilly knew it was time to defuse. She only hoped Girardi realized the same. He stood up and calmly told Lago that if they saw anyone else drifting south of the ten, they'd be back, and without any watchdogs to save them. And who's going to save you from the sheriff, Frankie? The insolent gang lord spat. Maybe we just get it all on the table right here. Right now. Save us all the time. Girardi's forehead vein was pulsing like an F1 engine now. He knew he couldn't put his boot between the dickhead's eyes with Dilly around, but he definitely couldn't let him keep running his mouth. With just a look, he could get Johansson to take the fall and get his hands dirty, but there was also the fact that they were in enemy territory, surrounded by very violent gang members, and he still didn't know exactly how handy Dilly could be in a fight. Judging by her Chanel belt, probably not all that much. He took a step toward Lago, towering over him, and getting right in his face with a look that warned him this wasn't going to go the way he was thinking. Dilly took a stronger stance and prepared to reach for her service weapon, while Johansson took a step in front of her to get Girardi's back if necessary. You sure that's a good idea? Fact is, if it's not me, someone in your little conspiracy is going to come clean, Lago continued. 
Girardi had had enough. He grabbed Lago by the shirt, lifting him up to his toes as Tresa swept in. For that split second, Dilly saw just how Girardi was able to enact such an authoritative force on these career criminals. With just a squeeze of his hands, he had crumbled up every last fold of Lago's muscle tee. And with almost no effort, he was able to pull the small man toward him with such force that the poor Tresa's head whipped back in sharp overextension. Dilly pulled her weapon and shouted for the Tresa's to stay back. Then right as she tried to yell for Girardi to let Lago go, gunshots went. The gang members and police all took cover as a flurry of other semi-auto rounds fired, followed by a screeching burnout. Noting their poor radio habits, Dilly got on hers and reported the shots, thereby inviting an imminent invasion of deputies to which no one other than Dilly wanted. She then tactically made her way through the house and to the front, where she saw the Tresa standing guard, pistols out. Dilly commanded them to drop their weapons, and once noting that the threat had passed, made her way to the sidewalk where a group had congregated. Once more, she shouted for everyone to put their hands in the air and wrap them around the back of their heads. The group obeyed and began backing away from the object of interest. As Dilly came around to get a look herself, Girardi, Johansson, and Lago emerged from the front door. Johansson ran to radio his troops as Girardi approached Dilly. Looking down at the ground, they both saw the victim. A trece with three holes right through his left pectoral and one in his neck. The poor kid couldn't have been more than 16. He was clutching at his wounds in vain, crying and praying his active contrition in Spanish between spurts of heavy breathing. Dilly crouched down to try to dress any wound she could, but it became very clear that there was nothing she could do. She grabbed his hand and told him to just hold on for the ambulance. The lone banger looked up at her with his deep childlike brown eyes, shining brightly from the heavy tears. As the pain began to fade, replaced by a cold chill, he thought to himself that this was really how his short life would end. It was all over. Even if he could deny his physical feelings, his eyes wouldn't lie. And right now, they were looking up at what must be an angel. That was Creativity, the second part of the Bad Boys of Baldwin Park PD. Hope you're enjoying it. Obviously, intensity is going up. Like Girardi said, upping the ante. Starting to see some blood flow, some bodies drop. Gangland is getting real. So make sure you're subscribed because we have part three coming up next where Girardi decides to strike back and we start getting a little more interesting. Obviously, fallout from the shooting. Dilly has to intensify. The corruption charges are showing themselves more and more blatantly. So make sure you subscribe. You're going to want to see what happens. Huge twist coming. The entire plot is going to turn on its head. You're not going to want to miss it. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, everywhere you can find podcasts. Please continue to share, post on social media. Thank you so much for listening. Be back next week.